Hello, everybody. My name is Jason West, and this is PodClass. Today's episode is brought to you by the Cal State Long Beach College of Education and Educational Leadership Department. Did you know that the Educational Leadership Department at Cal State Long Beach is home to not one, not two, but three advanced degree programs? One such program is the Educational Leadership Doctorate Program, a three-year program designed for working professionals in PK-12 and higher education who want to further promote social justice in urban educational settings. What's particularly unique about the program is that higher ed and PK-12 students take many of their courses together, cue the We Are Family theme song, and they do this so they can learn together how to address problems across the educational spectrum. The program prides itself on providing high levels of support and practical knowledge so that students graduate on time and make a difference in their jobs. Interested in applying? Check out csulb.edu forward slash edld for dates and information. That's csulb.edu forward slash edld. Go beach, go teach, go lead. Today's tea is provided by Snapdragon and Thistle. Do you know where your teas come from? Don't worry, Snapdragon and Thistle does. Snapdragon and Thistle prides themselves on sourcing their teas ethically. They've eliminated those pesky middlemen. Damn you, middlemen. After the leaves are picked, your leaves only make two stops before landing at your front door. Y'all, two stops? I'm turning 40 later this year, and I have found that the older I get, the more stops and the more steps it takes me to do just about anything. Snapdragon and Thistle provides the best prices for premium, ethically grown teas so that both your taste buds and your conscience can enjoy your cup of tea. Snapdragon and Thistle is also offering PodClass listeners 10% off their next order. All you have to do is go over to snapdragonandthistle.com, that's S-N-A-P-D-R-A-G-O-N-A-N-T-H-I-S-T-L-E.com, that's right, I spelled that whole thing for you, and enter the promo code Mr. West T10. That's M R W E S T T E A 10. Now, I realize I just threw a whole bunch of letters and numbers your way, but while you're processing everything I just gave you, let's just take a moment to bask in the fact that I have my very own promo code, y'all. My very own promo code for T. While we let that just sort of wash over and warm our hearts and souls, let's start the show. season finale of pod class with none other than Dr. Jill Baker. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. I am glad to be here for this and to be the season finale. Wow. All right. So quick rundown of your CV. Dr. Baker is the 13th superintendent of Long Beach Unified School District, California's fourth largest school district. Before that, she spent 28 years in the district serving a variety of roles, deputy superintendent, central office administrator, principal, and teacher. Honestly, I'm frankly surprised not to see Rec Aid and Security Guard on this list. You've kind of done it all. 
she earned a doctorate in educational leadership from USC and, of course, a master's degree from the Cal State Long Beach. Dr. Baker, pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. All right. I hope you're comfortable. You got your cup of tea? I've got my tea. Okay. That would have been really embarrassing if you hadn't. All right. Excellent. Because before we get into today's show, I want to start with a quick segment we're calling Intersectionality. All right. Let's take a sip. Today, we are drinking Genmaicha, sometimes referred to as brown rice tea because, well, quite simply, Genmaicha is the Japanese word for, you guessed it, brown rice tea. This tea blend is one of my absolute favorites. I am truly obsessed with it. It's made with a base of green sencha tea and a mixture of popped and roasted brown rice pieces. Although, when you steep it just right, the liquid looks more yellow than green. A cup of this is warm. It's hearty. It's got the classic grassy flavor of green tea that just fits perfectly with the nutty flavor from the toasted rice. Honestly, just smelling this cup is giving me all the Tokyo Sushi House vibes. Who needs a vacation when you can be transported by tea, right? There are many origin myths to this tea, ranging from gruesome. There's this one story where a samurai chops off the head of his assistant because he, the assistant accidentally added rice to his tea only for the samurai to realize after the fact that, oh, hey, this is actually pretty good. Horrifying. And then, of course, there are simplistic stories like the one where uh, grains of rice accidentally fall from the sleeves of a geisha. What seems most realistic, however, that is the story that has the most similar variations, is the story of a woman who couldn't afford enough green tea to serve her equally impoverished family or friends. Because back then, tea was such a luxury that only the upper class could afford it. So as a way to extend her minimal supply of green tea and to ensure that anyone who wanted a cup could get one, she added some toasted brown rice to her pot. Regardless of how or why this tea was created, one thing is certain. This affordable blend holds up well against just about any tea on the market today. All right, so Dr. Baker, you're probably sitting here wondering, why are we drinking specifically? Why are we drinking this delicious green tea blend today, right? Like, how does Ginmaicha intersect with education and personal identity? So as we just heard, Ginmaicha tea was used as a way to provide underserved citizens with the same luxuries afforded to the upper class. Similarly, with tuition costs being what they are and rising every year, college has arguably become a luxury afforded mostly to the upper class. But you're part of something that's like the Genmaicha of education. Can you please explain what the Long Beach Promise is and your role in the program? Sure. First of all, I want to make a, a little personal connection. My parents, actually, my mom was a teacher for the Department of Defense, um, and my father was serving in the Air Force when they met on one of the islands in Japan. And so I actually have uh, personally just appreciated learning about Japanese culture. And while I haven't ever been in Japan, it's something that feels, feels close to me, the, the culture of Japan. So it's, um, I guess, symbolic maybe or ironic that you chose that for today's pop class. And, and so I want to go to Japan so badly. So uh, I'm turning 40 this year. I, that was, The whole goal was I was going to take a trip to Japan. And then, of course, everything happened. So uh, when I go to Japan, I will let you know before I book the tickets in case you want to jump on that. Thank that you. Flight. Thank yeah. you. Very good. Very good. All right. So Long Beach Promise. <laughs> Long Beach College Promise. Wow. Um, more than a decade of really thinking about how to support students in an equity way of thinking about college. Um, and I'm, I'm 
really proud um, to build on that foundation this year. So over a decade of thinking about um, that students, we want to create a culture in the K-12 district where students see college as a next step, college or career as a next step. And so smart thinking and a community that came together centering around these, these concepts, I guess, with the institutions coming together to say, what would it look like in our community to make college part of what students K-12 think about? And then how can we smooth the road um, for students leaving our K-12 system? So the College Promise over time, it's had different iterations. It had um, a year of college uh, free tuition at Long Beach City College that then created a pathway for students into Cal State Long Beach. It currently offers students two years of free tuition, essentially to get an AA degree and then have automatic transfer rights, assuming that the student meets the requirements into an education at Cal State Long Beach. Um, it's also, I think it's it's an example of continuous improvement. So it has other different tenants to it. It, it brings students in in the early days of elementary school to see what it feels like and looks like to be on a college campus. There's a promise that students make early in their, their middle school career about their, their interest and knowledge about college. Um, and then certainly then knowing about the coursework and the requirements in high school helps students to be ready. So it's it is absolutely part of our equity-oriented work and a way that we have built over time this, um, this idea of a college-going uh, culture for students. Since the program was implemented, have you seen a rise in college admissions or retention? Yeah, I think that the biggest change that we've seen is first-time college-going students, which is actually who the... the College Promise was designed to meet the needs of. That was a very early focus um, to think about the partnership, especially with Long Beach City College, um, but then to open access for students to go directly at, from high school to Cal State Long Beach. And I think, um, I don't know by percentage, but I know that hundreds of students over time, I think it actually doubled over the first five wow. and then 10 years of the number of students that could go directly to Cal State Long Beach if they wanted to. Um, but it certainly has had um, a, over a hundred percent change in the in the first time college going students going to Long Beach City College and then on to to Cal State Long Beach. So, in a continuous improvement environment, what we know is that we don't rest on something. And so, actually, right now, the College Promise is in a very it's in a study mode. We actually commissioned across the institutions. We've commissioned a research study to be done. Um, they're looking at the data, the persistence data for students that go through the College Promise. We're looking at who takes up the opportunity to use the College Promise and really thinking about a very specific race and equity agenda in the years forward um, that may look different than, we've, than how the community has experienced the College Promise to this point. That is a perfect segue to my next question. I was kind of sitting here thinking, listening to the beginning part of your answer. And, you know, as much as the district has grown in this area over the last decade, uh, I'm sure you can imagine a world in which the district does even more to bridge the TK-12 world to higher education. So sort of off the top of your head, what are some ways school districts, including your own, can more successfully connect with higher ed organizations? Yeah, it's a really it's a really good question. 
I've learned a lot over the years about the differences of our organizations and the different ways that we that we individually get our work done. But I've also seen that when we are committed at the CEO level, so um, President Connolly and now Dr. Munoz over at Long Beach City College and myself, just regularly having a lot of informal dialogue and bringing our teams together, starting with us and then expecting that teams meet regularly across counseling, across academics. And so, so one of the ways is that we can be in community with each other, especially in, in a local area, and think about the students being all of our students. So if, if Long Beach Unified Better prepares students mm-hmm. for yeah. college, that's a responsibility to the colleges. If Long Beach City College prepares to take our students from where they are and then create that two-way pathway to Cal State Long Beach, um, I think continuing to push ahead in that way and thinking of ourselves as a and a broader educational community than just in our institutions is really important. We are looking, and the, the three institutions are working together right now to create a position for a project director for the College Promise because convening across organizations can be tricky with yeah. time and with responsibilities. And so we see this as a, a value that we want to actually make an investment in. And so the three institutions will sponsor this position for the next couple of years to ensure that the next generation of the College Promise that very much centers equity and issues for Black and Brown students um, really gets systematized among us um, going forward. Is there a role? Because you know, I'm, I keep thinking about the results that you talked about earlier and, and the, the massive turnaround that you saw or that the district saw once the Long Beach College Promise was implemented. Is there a role that you or the higher ed leaders in Long Beach can take to teach, for a lack of a better term, other communities about bridging the gap between those organizations? Or is that like one of those, I don't feel comfortable telling you how to raise your own kids situation? Hmm. Well, one thing I love about education is I feel like everything we do is a learning experience. Um, And so I think, you know, we've had outreach and actually the college promise concept has moved into other communities across in California and actually outside of California. And so I think there is, there's absolutely a role to think about. We're fortunate that Eli Oakley who went from Long Beach City College when the Long Beach College Promise was active, is now over the the statewide system of of city colleges. And so I think part of his work has taken this beyond, you know, how to to work with the local communities of which he supervises and think about college promises in their area. But there's definitely, first of all, teaching somebody else how to do something also informs yourself. So having that openness, I can say that, we've had more contact with Cal State Dominguez Hills of recent and Dr. Parham and the work that they're doing at Cal State Dominguez Hills, because many of our students in Long Beach actually go directly to Cal State Dominguez Hills. And so we want to see that as part of the way that we think, again, the broader community that we think about college, college readiness and college goingness in our community. Speaking of college goingness, this last school year, the 2020-2021 school year, saw a large spike in college applications. So clearly the TK-12 world is doing something right as far as messaging for college is concerned. Even with these rise in applications, in your view, what are the roadblocks that worry you most for your district kids? Yeah, 
Well, and it's timely to ask that question, Jason, because we've seen our families experience such hardship. The families that I most worry about have experienced also the greatest hardship in a pandemic. So I'm really glad to see those numbers up, and I'm, I'm hopeful that the that many of those barriers will go away. I'm glad that testing took a diminished role this year for students because I think in many cases, you see the, the disparity between a, a family who can provide all kinds of support for testing preparation and a family who doesn't. Although Long Beach Unified, as you know, does provide a lot of resources for students in that regard. Um, but I, I, I do worry about the responsibility that our young people have taken up for their families. Many of them as high school students are working um, a job, not by choice, but to support the, the basic needs of their family. And if they're not doing that, they're participating in supervision of, of children, of help in ways that they have not had to do in the past. And so that's a stressor to yeah. being able to go to college or even to think that you can go to college. So, and frankly, I'm aware that um, food insecurity for college students is a, is a real problem. And there are many students who are experiencing homelessness or not living in a stable environment. And I just know that there's more of that because of this pandemic rather than, than less of it. So um, I worry, I also worry that if students don't matriculate right to a college experience, City College or straight to Cal State Long Beach, that, you know, a gap year can be good. A gap year sounds good if you're having an experience that goes with it. But if you just mm -hmm. detach from an educational community and then you take on responsibility in a new way, sometimes it's cause for a student to then not go back right. to college. And I, I do, I do worry about that. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's hard to turn down a paycheck. Yes. Uh, when, you know, it's essential for your livelihood. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. Over the last 15 or 20 years or so, there's been a lot of talk about college preparation for the TK-12 world. Uh, in fact, you see many charter schools where that's their main focus, right? Uh, college prep academies, I think is what they call them. At what age do you think college prep should begin in earnest? Hmm. I can think of a lot of experiences or conversations I've had with families that that can tell the story over time of like exposure, you know, thinking about college and career at an early age and cultivating that, you know, more of the, what do you want to be when you grow up? I think there's a healthy aspect of that in, even in elementary schools where we, we, we teach students the value of education. Um, we talk about creating options for yourself. And so age appropriate, um, as students start to think about grades and, you know, what they're interested in, in Long Beach, as you know, we have students that choose their pathway as eighth graders. And so, while it might sound early to be thinking about it as a fifth or a sixth grader, I think it's, it's an important conversation because it helps students to think about what they're interested in, which then often becomes their, their, their pathway selection, which then often, not always, but often becomes what a student thinks of that they want to learn about for their career or um, career or explore further for just their, their interest in what they want to do in life. So I'm not sure that there's a too early. I think it just needs to be staged as age appropriate. And I want to be careful to say that I'm not including um, what I think of as a lot of pressure that's been put on students as of late when I think of the last decade. Students have, have had a lot of pressure about college, getting ready for college, um, 
to some extent, I see that impacting the experience that they have in high school. And mm-hmm. so when, when parents ask me, one of the things that I say is that I think you can have a great career regardless of what college you go to. College is a lot about what you put into it is what you get out of it. And usually my, my observation is with that for many students, and clearly this isn't, isn't true for very specialized fields, um, that the undergrad experience should be an experience that students learn a lot about life and they learn a lot of general life skills right. that they can yeah. then continue to pursue as graduate students. So I, I like to encourage families to feel less pressure or to put less pressure on their students about the actual where your student will go and um, that they have to be valedictorian to have a great college or career experience, that that pressure is often too much for students. I like what you said earlier, uh, and I'm paraphrasing about how college awareness is part of the college preparation process. I, I've had so many students who pick schools that they want to go to, or, you know, they, they, they dream about going to schools simply because they know someone who went there or they, that school happens to be in their community where they live. And so because it's real and tangible to them, they would like to go there. And so this idea of making kids more aware of other colleges to make it more real and tangible for them exposes them to just this wide open world of possibility for them. I really, I really appreciated that. Well, and I I actually see that as a really important role of education is that you have choices by getting a good education. A K-12 education gives you choices by going on and having a college education. It gives you choices. It doesn't define what you will be, um, but it, but it gives you options and choices. And I think that's a really important part of empowering students and empowering adults. As I sit here and I kind of listen to your answers, I'm noticing that the issue of equity in education seems to be a thematic through line in a lot of how you view aspects of education. I'm just wondering, at what point in your career did equity become the driving element in your work? Hmm. Yeah, so I've done some thinking about that over time. And one thing I would just, that it always takes me back to some early stories that my father told me. So my father was a a first generation college goer in his family. Mm. Um, And um, he tells the story of parents who who had some dysfunction in their lives, but they pushed for for going to school. Um, And the impact that that had in one generation, how it impacted the family that he that he came to be with my brother and I and my mother. And so not to, that's probably not where it started in terms of my career, but I I can remember just talking a lot about the power of education. And while I didn't understand it early on so much as an equity issue, I came to understand it that way. And so as as a beginning teacher in Long Beach Unified School District, all of my first years were spent in beautifully diverse schools and communities that um, that I uh, communities different than where I had grown up, which just allowed me to immerse myself and and to learn both the beauty and the struggles of of communities that where many families were living in poverty, and so um, I think I brought a social justice heart to that work, and it's one of the reasons that I wanted to be a teacher to begin with. I really wanted to make a difference and. Ultimately, I decided 
after being a sociology major that I wanted to make a difference in the lives of students. And so um, I think it was my first couple of years in school that I saw some of the struggles of, of families and the students who I was working with. And I probably couldn't name it as uh, being equity centered at the time, but I could name it now that it was a desire to create a place in my classroom and then in a school where I was a principal and then in my role in district leadership roles to create a place that allowed each child to, each child, each student, our youth to um, experience both excellence, meaning high expectations and high quality education, and also be, be met with equity, meaning supports and other structures that would support them in getting an excellent education. So it's been early on and I have I actually have contact with a couple of my students from when I was a teacher um, and have had the privilege of just learning how education from their elementary years all the way through now how they are as adults and how they have actually right. taken on a similar, not just a message, a similar challenge in their life wow. and are passing on that belief in education in what they do, which is, as you know, there's nothing better as an yeah. educator than to to see the success of your students over time. Especially to know that, I mean, yes, you, you want them to have the content and the knowledge, but you also recognize that what you're giving them content-wise is just the next step that will help them get to the next step in what they're learning. And so, you know, if you're, especially if you're teaching in elementary, when you run into them, they're not going to be like, man, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have known what an adjective was. But to sit there and say, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't see the world the way I do. Like, oh my gosh. Yes. That it's like is the dream. So yeah, that is so true. And, you know, my perspective obviously has grown and evolved as I've learned so much from teachers and students and other administrators who I've worked with over time to, that has really helped me to think about the role of a system leader and not just one person who wants to um, have a following around equity or one person who wants to, you know, do my own equity work, that my work is about helping create systems that, that pair up high expectations, high opportunities, and the supports that students need to be successful. And that's what, to me, that's what excellence and equity together, they should never be separated. It's not equity if you don't have high expectations. Um, so bringing those two things together and then analyzing all of our district systems, asking really hard questions about how we can make those systems better, asking who's left out when we, when we make a decision, who benefits, who doesn't benefit. Um, I've really grown over time as a, as a, a student of our organization and a, and a student of the world, I'll say, in terms of the yeah. difference that we can make as leaders. That resonates with me in so many ways. Uh, first, you know, I was just saying this to my wife the other day. I was like, you know, I'd like to think that the level of inherent empathy I have would allow me to see the world the way I do. But I also really recognize that I would not be the person I am today. And I wouldn't see the world the way I do if I didn't teach the kids that I've taught. And uh, if I didn't have the colleagues that I've had that have allowed me to ask, you know, incredibly 
ignorant questions, not out of malicious uh, intent, just like I like literal ignorance and, and have been really patient with me uh, as I've, as I've learned and grown. Um, the other thing that you said that was really, uh, that really resonated with me was this idea of focus, you know, how your focus on sociology really meant that you were big on equity. Over the last couple of years, I have found that a growing passion for behavioral sciences and, and, and recognizing this idea of we are sort of intrinsically programmed to react this way or to respond this way or to, you know, see things in a certain way and, and how we can deprogram some of that, that has changed the way I look at not just equity, but how teachers, other teachers approach equity and how you can help them uh, or help yourself even deprogram certain things or reprogram certain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there is a lot. It's, it's not my area of expertise, although I love to read and certainly I immerse yeah, myself yeah. in anything that would help me to to be a, be better in my job and to be a better human and a, and a better leader, there really is a lot about the science that goes with bias and with the way that we think about things. And so just your terminology, deprogramming mm-hmm. is part of becoming anti-racist or having an, mm-hmm. you know, really owning the bias that each of us has and then knowing what, what to do about it. I want to shift gears for a moment. This is your first year as superintendent of Long Beach Unified, but as I mentioned at the top of the show, you've been in the district for many years and you served under the previous superintendent as his deputy superintendent. Uh, well, before I get to my question, I guess I just want to check in and see how you're doing. Like, I can't imagine it's been an easy year one, to say the least. It has not been an easy year. It really hasn't. Um but it was the right year and the right time for me. I, I, I believe that. I'm so happy for Mr. Steinhauser to, I've seen him recently and just love seeing just the youthful rested look on his face. Um, and certainly the foundation to come into this position, even though we were in a crisis, there was just a strong foundation to build upon. And I, you know, just like Chris would say, continuous improvement is important. And so in some strange way, the, navigating through the pandemic. Um, I would never want for it. I don't see it as a silver lining in some of the ways that we have Mm. heard people talk about it. Um, But there will be good things that come out of it. And one of the things that I think about is when everything is different, it is cause for reimagining things in a way that you don't naturally do when things are, things are moving along in the way that we know. So at some point getting comfortable being really uncomfortable. So being really uncomfortable in a new job that I didn't know how to do. And while I had had glimpses at Chris's work, you know, over time, he served 18 years. He got to a place where things were so routine for him that I don't think he was even, would even express like, here's how I'm thinking about it. Or mm. and so I, there was a lot that I didn't know. So being uncomfortable in a new job and certainly uncomfortable in a really, really uh, difficult time across the world. So all combined, I've spent months being uncomfortable. That's stressful, but it also is cause for a lot of reflection and something I feel, I guess, proud of that I've been able to do over this, even the last six months more so is manage the, so manage the 
being in the day-to-day and providing leadership and support to my team in the day-to-day, but being really intentional about stepping back often enough to look up and ahead. Um, And that's not easy to do when, when you're in a version of chaos, not chaos because we're not trying, but to some degree societal chaos. So I'm, I'm pleased to say (laughs) some degrees (laughs) to every degree. So that, that stepping back has been really healthy for me. I have an executive coach who has helped me to do that. We have a, every other week we meet. And so um, she's been helpful giving me the space to explore ideas and to really express the things I'm thinking about for the future. Um, and so that's been healthy. I am pleased at this moment as we're recording this, that it feels like the arc of the pandemic is oh, heading no. down the other side. It doesn't we're mean all knocking on all the wood right now. <laughs> right. Right. So I, and it's interesting. I've created this image in my mind of a rainbow. And so when I think about that arc, I'm kind of watching like the top of that rainbow. And I'll say even as recently as the last couple of weeks, and I'm I'm sure it was inspired by seeing students come back into classrooms on March 29th. Um, I feel like I'm just looking for that pot of gold for all of us, you know, to- God, I want it to be there. I, I'm, I look at it the way I looked at the inauguration. I was just like, I'll believe it happened three days after it happened. <laughs> Like, right. I'll be able to, okay, it happened. Yeah, yeah, I'm and, 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 and to a, a reimagined version of school, not just returning to, quote, normal. Right, yes. And, and that's, yes. that is hard to do. The pull on us as educators, there's like a centrifugal force that pulls us back to what we know as humans. Change is hard. We really have, yes, change is hard. And so change we really lost. have to changes lost there's grief yes there is and so um we have to stick together and just keep pushing towards reimagining and of course it's not all going to happen all at once but i'm i'm looking um, i look at a bright future for us and what i have seen the best of humanity the best of our educators do in these days of hard hard times and i and it makes me really hopeful so speaking of reimagining back to my question (laughs) given that you've been in the district for as long as you have, does that give you the latitude and flexibility to sort of hit the ground running on some of the issues that are most important to you? Or do you still kind of feel obligated to do the listening tour that so many first year leaders go through? I think it's both. So I have fortunately have relationships across the district with teachers and with staff at all levels, which maybe makes the conversation easier to get into But I feel that if we're going to reimagine things, that part of that is listening well and thinking about ways to to reimagine and to both provoke in a new way that maybe folks haven't experienced in me in my prior roles in the district, um, and also to listen well so that things that may not have been heard um, and not with intent, but that just may not have been uplifted into a space where we were listening um, or has not have not been heard before, that it, it's a new way to listen. And, and I, I can't leave that without saying that it's really important to me about how we're listening to students. And so I've done a lot of thinking over this year and, and tried some things out that have been clunky and in some ways uncomfortable, 
um, and encouraged my team to be listening to students in new ways. And I'm exploring a, a number of different ideas with superintendents, even across the nation that I get to interact with around how do you, even as a superintendent, how do you really center student voice and student input, but not just to listen? How do you center student voice in a way that it contributes to your improvement efforts and really helps us to see our classrooms and see our schools through the lens of a student and not just through adult? Well, lenses. and the other side of it, that, that also gives students agency with yes their own district and learning it's it's no longer uh, a passive role of what happens to them it, it also becomes how are they making it happen yes I also something that also feels really connected to that for me is when I think about great teachers their connection to students mm-hmm. even more than they might want to hear something from an adult or especially a central office leader but a teacher knows how to listen to students. And if we can bring student voice into that decision-making and even in community with adults, I think there's a lot for us to benefit from um, in bringing student voice into different, different places. And I think teachers will really, it's because students are, are a teacher's why, if they could hear different versions of their students' voices about mm. things that could be better for them, I just feel really hopeful about that in terms of our improvement efforts. Yeah, and hearing about what's the students' why. All right, so before I let you go, I want to ask you some clairvoyant-type questions. Okay. Uh, you remember that Jamaican lady from the TV like 20 years ago, Miss Cleo? Like, call me now for your free reading. Oh, well, okay, well, instead of Dr. Baker, we're going to okay. talk to Miss Jill, the educational clairvoyant. Don't worry, you do not have to do the accent. Oh, I like this. You, you got your eyes closed. You're ready, to, you're ready to summon the spirits. It's good. Mm-hmm. All right, so a few quick questions for you. First one, in three years from now, what are some of the most positive changes or strides you see your district making? Well, an excellence and equity agenda means that students who have not been successful in the past are successful. That means students of all colors, especially our students who have traditionally not experienced school in a way that has met their needs, we sometimes say marginalized, that they are reading at grade level, computing and able to do mathematical problem solving at grade level, that they are able to take algebra as middle school students, that they see college, in their middle school years as an option for them, that they can choose any pathway, regardless of your your race or your ethnicity. When you're an eighth grader, you have the skill set and you have the the grades and the other things that you need to choose any pathway and that you see college in your future. And so down in the details of that, we often say closing the achievement gap of our students of color and our white students in particular um, and changing the the student outcomes that we see right now with many, many disparities that still exist within our pathways. um, And when we look at race and ethnicity in our, in our student achievement data in three years, if I were able to eliminate all of those gaps, then I would feel that there was a job well done. Wow. All right. Next one. We're going to go ahead even further in five years from now, what does college preparation look like in Long Beach? Well, building on, building on the college promise, I think what I see as the future is that 
our College Promise meets the needs of a more diverse student population with the focus on, in particular at this point, just to, to name it, our, our African-American male students and not only getting into college, but persisting in college. And so there's, there, um, there's work across our institutions that we're doing to make that happen. Um, I see in my mind, there's an expansion of the College Promise to include other institutions, including Cal State Dominguez Hills as a partner right alongside Cal State Long Beach and a, and a broadening of when we think about mm. that community. Um, and I think something that feels important in our work as in education is that we have more of our students that come back to work as teachers in Long Beach Unified School District. And so our human resource services has some really big aspirations about mm. how we nurture a pathway that then leads into a liberal studies or a content area degree. Yeah. And that we see more of our students and in particular, our students of color who represent the majority of our school district, about 85% mm. of our students are students of color, that they see education as something that they want to pursue for their life's work and that they come back and do it here. You know, I've always wondered, that's great. I've always wondered why in education, there isn't a Rooney rule, like how they have in the NFL, where they say, you know, you can interview anyone you want, you just have to make sure for the coaching position that at least one of the candidates is black. Uh, because the, the, the study that had come out was that most black coaches, when they interview they will get a job that they typically would not have even been considered for had they not been given the exposure to that. Um, so I always wondered why that doesn't, that isn't something that exists in education in terms of uh, hiring, uh, especially hiring leaders. All right, last one. Okay. Eight years from now, looking all the way to 2029. So you're going to really have to stretch your clairvoyant skills here. As we wrap up this decade and look toward the 2030s, <laughs> will the TK-12 and higher ed relationship be closer, the same, or will the gap between the two increase? So my prediction is much closer, lots of collaboration across institutions, teaching one another the things that our, each of our institutions is best at so that we're sharing best practices as, as teachers and as leaders. Um, I also think I feel hopeful that we will share people um, in different ways in the future, whether it means our staff as K-12 teaching in the other environments um, in a more regular basis or having college professors teaching in, in um, the K-12 district, but I think there's great potential for collaboration across the institutions. And I think we're at a really pivotal point in thinking, in some ways, thinking P-16 um, again, because that is not entirely new, but that's something that I think we, we really are trying to revisit, that at, at one point, even prior to the college promise, there was P16 conversation. It was actually what brought in the original executive director of the Long Beach Education Foundation was, was working around this concept of P16. And so not mm. returning to that version, yeah. but aspiring to a future version that has outcomes for students that align to our vision 
for um, an equity-centered system, but also brings all the institutions together and helps us work together on behalf of our students. All right, Clairvoyant Jill, you are off the hook unless you have lottery numbers for me. (laughs) (laughs) No lottery numbers. I don't play the lottery. All right, so we've come to one of my favorite parts of the show. We've learned a lot. We've talked a lot, mostly about education. Now, this is an opportunity to get to know Dr. Baker on a personal level. I like to have my guests assign extra credit at the end of every episode. The extra credit can be anything. It could be a book to check out, a type of food to eat, a movie uh, to watch, a country to visit when we're able to do that. It can be anything you want. The, the class is yours. So, Dr. Baker, what is an extra credit assignment you would like to give to the pod class audience? Let's see. Well, I guess building on um, a couple of my own passions, um, I'd like to give the homework assignment to take a swim in the ocean or in a pool because one of my passions outside of work is swimming laps. It's one of the ways that I keep my mind calm and my body soothed. And it actually has a really important connection to a point in my life. So I am a cancer survivor about to celebrate my five-year cancer-free anniversary. And when I was recovering, I was at the gym at the YMCA looking down on that pool thinking, you know, I used to swim when I was young. I wonder what it would feel like to help my body through this, um, this body experience that was really hard for me. And so just about five years ago, I got a suit out and the first time I could swim about 10 minutes. Now I can swim 60 minutes and I can swim over a mile in one setting. So And I'll encourage people, maybe not just to swim, but think about something from the past that might be good for the present that you've engaged in and and revisit that. Um, And so swimming has been that thing for me. Reconnect with like a a joy from your Yeah, a joy. And it is. And it's been a a great, over the course of this really difficult year, um, I have not, except for when the gym was closed, I actually had someone volunteer their backyard pool for me to swim. That lasted (laughs) for about three three or four weeks. Um, I assume had, you're doing uh, 60 minutes straight. They're like, is she going to get out? Right, right. Is she out of here? I guess the second thing is, and this, again, this is comes as of recent because I hadn't read a book for pleasure in almost a year. God, I know that. So, I know that so well. A book for every class. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, of course, I love to read and need to read and want to read professionally. Um, but I just read Jody Picoult's The Book of Two Ways. And I really liked it. She's an author who she studies something and she um, she learns about something and then she creates a story around it. So the book of two ways was uh, something I actually read during spring break. Good for me. I worked, but I, I used some time to get off my computer and to read and really enjoyed what she shared about Egyptology and um traced back an experience to the pyramids and enjoyed getting swept away into, into a a personal story that had some historical context. So just another world. Yeah. Another world, literally. So the book of two ways I would recommend it. All right. So reconnect with a lost joy from your youth and a book called the book of of two ways. That's what confused me. I was going to say a book called of two ways, but I'm like, no, that ain't it. (laughs) 
a book called The Book of Two Ways. All right. Well, I look forward to I look forward to reading that when I'm able to read for pleasure again. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Baker. Really appreciate you uh, taking the time. Thank you. It's great to be with you, Jason. Thanks for the work that you do and for uplifting education. Okay, that is our show, and that is our season. I want to thank our very special guest, Dr. Jill Baker, for joining us. And thank you, my pod classmates, for listening. If you'd like to follow Dr. Baker and her work as superintendent, she can be found on Twitter at jbaker000. If you enjoyed today's show, or any show this season, don't be a stranger. Reach out. Let me know. I can be found on all social media platforms with the username at Teach Me Mr. West. I can also be reached via email at podclasspod. That's podclasspod at gmail.com. One more thing. Have you enjoyed this show? Have you enjoyed this season? If so, I'd really appreciate it if you can go to wherever you get your podcasts and go ahead and give this show a five-star rating, maybe even a little review if it's not too much trouble. If reviews aren't really your thing, maybe just tell a few folks you know to subscribe to the show. That'll do just as good. We will be back in the fall with a new season and a whole new lineup of amazing guests. Thank you so much to all of the listeners. Thank you to Cal State Long Beach for supporting the show. Thank you to Snapdragon and Thistle for providing the luxurious, beautiful teas. Enjoy your summer, everyone. Until next time, pod class dismissed.